Well, lots of background noise here, and I think I said last time, I said it to myself if I didn't say it in one of the recordings, that I want to stop doing the rants, but here I am again. I guess I just need to accept that some of these are going to be, I just pick up the mic and start talking, and um, I feel like that means the quality is lower. But you start to realize maybe producing some sort of quality product, I guess that isn't really the purpose of this then. It's just some sort of outlet. In some ways it's an outlet for things I can't really say, or it's just it's awkward to bring up in other contexts. I think in a lot of cases it's also like, you know, the few people I talk to on the phone, you know, maybe they want to hear five minutes of what I'm talking about, but they don't want to hear an hour and a half. <laughs> so I I need to make up the difference somewhere because I want to ramble on about ancient Egypt or something. Is there objective truth? We're going to answer that question right now. <laughs> I was watching Neil deGrasse Tyson on, you know, some new show. He's talking about some new book. And what I'm about to set up, maybe it's a straw man, but, you know, it's out there somewhere. I don't know if he was going to say exactly this, but there's this idea that there's, you know, your opinion, and then there's truth. There's objective truth. And... One of the one of the most irritating ways that this comes up is when someone says uh, <clears throat> when someone says the following, though I just want to note it's not annoying in every context, but there's context in which somebody says like maybe they say something and you say it back to them or, or and you say, Oh, okay, so you think this, that, and the other thing and they say, Oh, I know <laughs> in Again, sometimes that makes sense. You know, if you say, oh, you think 2 plus 2 is 4, and they say, no, I know it is. You can rest assured. <laughs> but but other times, other times it doesn't make as much sense. Anyway, my point is, even with the 2 plus 2 thing, I want to back way up. Math isn't a good example, but let's say it's, you know, I know the Earth orbits the sun. Just seems like such a basic fact. Let's imagine I say that to a student. Let's say a student is saying, oh, geez, I don't know, maybe it's a heliocentric universe. And I'm saying, no, no, I know that the Earth revolves around revolves around the sun. Sorry about the noise. And let's imagine they then say, have you looked through a telescope before? And I say, no, I haven't. Oh, okay. So you didn't do any of the math that's required to establish the fact that you just asserted and you know to be true. I said, yeah, you're right about that. So how do I know? I, somebody I trust told me. That's what it boils down to. It was in a textbook or, you know, elementary school teacher told me, and I, I, I just ex accepted it. So even the things, even the basic facts about the world, Earth goes around the sun. If you actually subject those claims 
in in practice, like your you, your beliefs about them. Okay, you know, maybe like Kepler really knew because he was, you know, dedicated his life to figuring it out or something. But none of us do. So if you really subject your beliefs to the type of critical thinking that we're always told you're supposed to be constantly engaged in, then everything you believe falls apart. You see virtually nothing for yourself. We're always relying on some expert. We're deferring. And in practice, even the people who think that we're all supposed to say, I want to see the evidence myself. In practice, those same people defer and expect other people to defer to experts. So it's it's a sort of empty, not assertion, it's a sort of empty imperative, <laughs> an empty command to always demand to see the evidence. We're told argument from authority is, what's the word? Again, like I said, didn't prepare. I never do anymore. Like a thing that's always false. No, no, no. That's not the right way to say it. A thing that is never a sound basis for making a claim. A false thing. What is the word for this? Oh, well, I don't remember the term I'm looking for, but the point is we're told we should demand to look at the evidence for ourselves but nobody even the people telling us to do that they don't do that because they can't do that if you want to dedicate your life to like one question maybe you can become an expert on that to a degree but even then it go, it goes even deeper than that how do you trust your senses even the most the most committed scientists people who are the most committed to the sort of naive version of a scientific way of believing, those people rely on the presumption that you can trust your senses. But how do I know I can trust my senses? And probably the answer would be, well, you can't just trust yours. It, you know, it has to be everybody else trusting their senses. You know, let's say you see that when you drop two objects at the same time and there's no friction if it's in a vacuum but there's gravity they fall at the same rate let's say you observed that and then Ben says well how can you trust your senses the scientist would then say I'm talking about a again a straw man naive scientist the scientist says well, of course, I can't just rely on my own senses. But if everybody else perceives the same thing, then I can, okay, I'm not having a dream. I'm not on a hallucinogen. This must be real. But now you're deferring to other people. You're not demanding to see the evidence yourself. We already excluded all the evidence from other people by saying, no, I need to see the evidence myself. But then by saying you want to... You want to look at evidence that comes from other people. Now you're saying you don't trust the evidence from you. You don't trust your own senses. Those aren't 100%. That data isn't 100%. Those data aren't 100%, if you prefer. 
there were two things that came to mind while I was watching the Neil deGrasse Tyson thing. One is the types of things I was I just talked about. The sort of contradictions and like obvious flaws in the you know basic sort of tenets of how to think like a scientist. I was thinking about that in general and then I was thinking about I'm a science teacher. If I said any of this stuff to my colleagues, I don't know how they they might, you know, often what happens is you're thinking, "Oh, I'm I'm the only one who thinks this." And then you somehow it comes up with your colleagues and you realize, "Oh, they're thinking the same thing." I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't really I don't think we have to teach the kids what I'm talking about here. Like there's a there's a place for oversimplified. <laughs> well, oversimplified's the wrong word then. There's a <laughs> There's a context in which something is simplified to an appropriate degree, whereas in another context, it would be oversimplified. So teaching the kids, yeah, you should demand to see the evidence yourself. Obviously, that's a fine thing. But it just kind of bugs me a little bit to not be able to note somewhere that, oh, by the way, I realize there's flaws in this. And again, that's what motivates me to pick this up. It's like I want to, I want somewhere I want to note that you know I know that this isn't as flawless as it, I have to make it sound. But here's the other thing that comes to mind, which is this this idea that some is it scientists? Maybe it's more like popular science writers have where they have this idea that they engage in science as opposed to philosophy. There's two people I can think of who are like this, and I only remember one of their names. <laughs> and one of them is Richard Dawkins. You know, if you talk about philosophy, then, you know, he kind of has a bunch of negative things to say. And they're really dumb things. Like they're clearly ignorant. I don't want I shouldn't use the word ignorant because the word ignorant you know what I take that to mean? I take it to mean you don't know something and it's bad that you don't know it. And so I guess in a sense I do think it's ignorant, but I want to be purely descriptive. The things he says about philosophy make clear that he doesn't know anything about philosophy. <laughs> it's funny because someone like Richard Dawkins, like a, a portion of his career is just making fun of people talking about science who don't know anything about science. There's two people who I think are great on this topic, though, which is who are, I mean to say, Sam Harris and especially Sean Carroll. And here's what they say, and this is what I agree with. It, <laughs> I'm tempted to say, no, it's not what I think, it's what I know, which I just made fun of. Um, but this to me seems just obviously true. That naive scientific way of viewing things when I say naive I don't mean that like all science is naive I mean like I'm taking a naive scientist you know just as one subset of scientists there's other scientists who aren't naive <laughs> all right but the naive scientist they are so the naive scientist believes you should demand to see the evidence yourself you can trust your senses so long as everybody else's senses see the same thing all right, no, that doesn't make sense together. The other thing the naive scientist believes is, 
I don't get I don't engage in philosophy, I engage in science. And what the Sean Carrolls of the world note is that you you can't you can't actually do that. There are philosophical questions that you implicitly answer even if you don't explicitly answer them. I take philosophy to be logic, definitions. They're things that it's almost like math where to some degree it's made up but when you define all the terms right it creates this complex structure I don't know if that makes any sense but the point is that you know does 4 really mean 2 plus 2 like you can't really go out in nature and prove that you can prove that every time you have 2 it turns out you have 4 or you know what I mean to say there. <laughs> Every time you have two and two, you always end up with four. But why should why should you define four as the quantity that we define it as? I don't know. That's like a weird. It's a weird question. I take that to be like a philosophical question. Those types of questions, and you can't avoid answering those questions. You either do so having put some attention on the topic or you do so without putting any attention on it which is what the naive scientist does so how do you know you can trust your senses to what degree can you trust your senses those are things that you ought to think about if you're going to tell people here are the rules you ought to follow when you're deciding what you believe and if you haven't thought about those questions, then you're giving this advice about how to go about establishing valid beliefs, sound beliefs, without having actually thought about the most fundamental questions relating to the topic. Fallacies. That's what I was trying to think of earlier. Logical fallacies. Like ad absurdum. I think that's considered a logical fallacy. Argument from authority. This is what I was trying to say earlier. Argument from authority is considered a, a logical fallacy. Well, Aristotle said it was true. Everything Aristotle said is true. Therefore, it must be true. And it's considered a fallacy because the fact that somebody, <laughs> somebody famous said it doesn't make it true. It's not a, a sound basis upon which to believe something. In practice, <laughs> that's that's how scientists, that's how everybody thinks about everything. Uh, I mean, ev the more educated you are, the more you do that because it's the closest you can come to having sound beliefs. So we could have a, a conversation in which you know, where on a street corner talking about the horoscopes. <laughs> Even then, I guess that would be looking at an authority. Look, imagine if we were just talking about what our gut tells us. So that would be one way of approaching the world. I think we all think that that's a bad way of, of thinking if you're going to try and answer some big questions. Or, or some objective questions. 
you know, how big is the universe? How old is the universe? Or, you know, what is matter made out of? I don't mean a big question. Um, I mean the objective questions. If I said, well, you know, I kind of feel like matter's made out of dot, 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 that's one way of thinking. A more educated way of thinking is, well, scientists tell us that's argument from authority. Now, I get that the authority is we think that, you know, we trust <laughs> they at least ideally subscribe to a set of beliefs that's more likely to lead them to truth than, say, they read a religious text or something. They're following scientific practices to arrive at their beliefs, and so that's the basis upon that's the basis of their authority. That's why we can defer to it. But it's still argument from authority. You literally say something like, oh, no, no, that's not true. Richard Dawkins said it wasn't. Even if you want to say, even if you want to try to contort that to mean, well, I know that's not true because this guy who happens to be Richard Dawkins, who was engaged in scientific practices figured out that it wasn't true. So you're sort of trying to get away from the authority part there and the way you frame it. You're still trusting this other person's senses. You come right back to that problem. And Richard Dawkins wasn't in a lab doing anything anyway. I mean, so even the, the, the example I'm giving is... You know, when you're talking... Well, anyway, we get lost on that, but... You know, the, the selfish gene is almost, there's something almost philosophical about evolutionary thinking. I don't know, maybe that's just me, but this can't be enjoyable to listen to. But it did something for me, I guess.